people don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast from the OU Insider Studios. Here's your host, Brandon Drum. Another OU Insider Under the Visor Streamers podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Colin Kennedy, Parker Thune. The OU Insider team is here and we are ready to roll. We've got a good podcast for you guys today because there's a lot to talk about with the OU basketball search, Long Kruger, which I, we haven't got to touch on the Long Kruger retirement, which I think we need to do. Uh, we got to touch on the basketball search because a lot has happened. Obviously, Chris Beard just announced in the Texas right before we get on the podcast today. Um, Austin Reeves announcing to go pro. Uber cores in the portal. We have the top 247 2023 class that just came out. We can talk about that. We can talk about 2022. We can talk about some seven on seven stuff that we've got going on as well. Uh, and our travels here in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be really fun to talk about because there's a lot going on with OU Insider. We're going across the country and it's going to be fun for you guys to hear on our VIP board. Uh, and then we're going to finish out with spring ball. Uh, and then maybe we can touch on a little bedlam baseball if we have time at the end, because I know my two colleagues love them. Some OU baseball talk. Um, Anyways, guys, Parker, Colin, how are you guys doing? Hey, what, Brandon? I am currently posted up in the, I shouldn't say great, in the mediocre state of Nebraska for the weekend. <laughs> so i uh, going to be enjoying Easter with the family and also uh, catching up with some of the top guys up here across Nebraska and Iowa. Got the chance to talk with offensive tackle Caden Proctor, who just, uh, as we released the 2023 rankings, which we'll touch on more later, was among the top 20 in the country yesterday he of course goes to the same high school as Xavier Wampa who's one of the top safeties uh, in the class of 2022 so Southeast Polk out east of Des Moines uh, they've got some of the best talent across the board in the state of Iowa so I was out there yesterday uh, later today going to go touch base with uh, one of my favorite kids in this 2022 cycle Caden Helms out of Bellevue West High School whom as our uh, our devoted members will know I have crystal ball to Oklahoma so uh, we'll see what comes of that meeting and then uh, Nebraska underclassmen showcase on Saturday and uh, home to touch base with Devin Jackson, four-star linebacker out of Omaha Burke tomorrow as well. So should be a busy weekend. And then uh, hopefully I'll get the opportunity to wind down uh, with a good solid Easter dinner with the family. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Colin, how about you, bud? Uh, I'm finally back in Norman for the first time in about two and a half months. So that's dope. Uh, looking forward to taking today and then going down to Durant 
here in a little bit. I just got back from going to True Buzz Dallas, Trench Warfare, the U.S. All-American Combine. whole lot of stuff going on down there this past weekend, so pumping some content out from there. And then here in a little bit after the Durant tournament, going to start doing some hopping around high schools and stuff. So I'm taking a quick breather up here in Norman for the first time in a while and then getting back on the road again for what will probably be the foreseeable future. So, yeah, exciting times. Yeah, if y'all don't know OU Insider, because of our excellent VIP membership that has just skyrocketed over the last three years, and we want to thank you Sooner fans for that. Um, we're able to go on a lot of different trips now. Um, I'll be, I'll be, I'm actually leaving uh, Monday. I'm Friday or Saturday. I'll be in Durant with Colin, seven on seven, and then. I will be in Florida and then in Georgia for the next two weeks going all over the state of Florida. And there are tons of top targets in 2022 and 2023 class that Oklahoma is after. And Oklahoma is in a good spot with a couple of them, uh, several of them, actually. Um, the Sunshine State is becoming quite the uh, pipeline for Oklahoma here in the recent recent uh, recruiting cycles. And Georgia is as well. So we're going to stop by and talk to uh, Dane Shore and a couple of other guys around there that um, uh, Lebius Overton, uh, you know, there's going to be some guys that we hit up when we go to the Atlanta, the Atlanta and the Georgia cycle of things as well. But in the meantime, let's talk about some OU basketball because Lon Kruger surprised everybody. I don't know. Surprise is not the way because we all kind of saw it coming. You know, we've talked about it before. We didn't think he was going to last much longer. But this year was kind of shocking because they had a chance to be special next year. If he had returned, there's a good chance you get Austin Reeves back. There's a good chance you get Brady Manick back. You get all these guys to come back most likely, right? And they're going to be really damn good. They're going to be one of the best teams in the country. Uh, They showed it against Gonzaga when Oklahoma is on and they are playing. They are one of the top. 10 teams in the country this past year. They just ran into the second round because of how they played at the end by not finishing games. They just ran into the best team in basketball. Too. Unfortunately, one of the best teams of all time, potentially if they can finish this tournament out in Gonzaga. And guess what? Oklahoma's played them better than anybody else. Nobody has played them the way Oklahoma had. And that is kind of, showed you exactly what that team could be, could have been. It's what we all thought they could have been in February. If they would have just finished out, they could have been potentially making a run, you know, maybe a sweet 16 elite eight run, but they're, they're not, they're out because they failed to play well at the end of the year. And they were punished by playing Gonzaga in the second round. Um, Anyways, Kruger retires guys. First, I want you guys thoughts on that. And then we're going to roll into some talk on coaching search. So Parker, Colin, whoever wants to go first, give me your thoughts on just what Kruger meant to the program and kind of the legacy they left and, and how hard is it going to be for this next person coming in to follow, follow him? Yeah. Colin, why don't you hit this one first? Cause I might talk for a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just keep it simple, man. I mean, like, one of the most lovable coaches in all of college basketball leaves the program and it, it hurts. I mean, let's just go ahead and call it what it is. Like it's pretty unfortunate and you hate to see him go, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's well-deserved. This guy has not only 
coming to the program for 10 years and taking this program basically out of an abyss and a tough position for a while. He, he was able to come in and impact a lot of lives, whether on his roster or around the community. And so I'll tell you what, man, whoever comes in better make sure they have those practices open because a lot of fans are going to start throwing fits here in a little bit if that's not the case. But I'd also say, man, it's just it's great to see him go out kind of on his terms. I'm glad that he's going to be able to spend some more time with the family, the grandkids, go out and see his son, who is obviously now the head coach at UNLV, and go out to see Carlin Hartman, who is now an assistant for his son at UNLV. So Lon just gets an opportunity to go ahead and kick back and enjoy the rest of his life. And it is well-deserved because again, this guy has done so much for others. It's, it's time for him to do a little bit for himself. And so I I'm congratulating him. I appreciate him. He's done a lot for me as a young journalist, even though he probably doesn't know me from left to right. Uh, but always was finding, finding ways to thank me for coming out of road games and stuff like that. And just, he makes life a lot easier whenever you're covering a team like his. So I'm, I'm really happy for him and I wish him nothing but the best. That's for sure. Man, I tell you what, I don't know if I've ever met a kinder human being in my life than Lon Kruger. The True. man is just so congenial, so warm, so outgoing, absolutely will always make time to shake your hand and ask you a question. And I don't think enough can be said for what this guy meant to the program, not just as a basketball coach, but as the leader that the program really needed when he stepped into that void in the wake of Jeff Capel's departure and try and stabilize everything. Because at the time that was a tempestuous position for any coach to step into and he didn't have to do it. And as he mentioned in his press conference last week, when he announced his retirement, he turned Joe Castiglione down twice because he was content where he was at UNLV. And at the time, the situation at Oklahoma was borderline toxic after Capel had departed, after you'd seen all the transfers, after the NCAA sanctions came down, the Sooner basketball program was in a bad place. And I don't think enough can be said for what Kruger did to go out of his way, to come to a state that he'd never lived in before, to take over a program that sure he had some familiarity with, but had no previous ties to in a real and tangible sense. And over the course of a decade, turn it around and restore its luster to the point where within five years, he had Oklahoma back in the final four and he had one of the most dangerous players in all of college basketball and buddy healed running points on that endeavor. So uh, just in terms of who he was as a person and is as a person and who he was as a basketball coach, like there is absolutely nobody else that I would have rather had coaching basketball at the university of Oklahoma, uh, especially during my time there as a student in particular, like he just, he was the model coach in so many ways. And yet, you know, you can quibble about the results. You can quibble about, okay, maybe his team should have gone a little further in March. Maybe the expectations could have been a little higher once that time of the year rolled around. And, you know, you go back to 2016 when they got shellacked by Villanova in the final four. Sure. That probably left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. But when you look at the Oklahoma basketball program, where it was a decade ago, by the way, today is, the 10 year anniversary of Lon Kruger's hiring. So you look at the program wow. as it stood a decade ago and you look at where it's at right now. And I know there's going to be a lot of turnover going into next season and they're going to have to replace Kruger. They're going to have to replace Hartman, but this program is leaps and bounds in better shape than it was when Lon Kruger arrived. And that's really all you can do as a coach because he was 59 years old when he took the job or 58, excuse me. 
it was pretty clear that he was just going to be a stopgap. This wasn't going to be a job that he held for the next 20, 25 years. And I don't think that was anybody's expectation, but you get an experienced coach in that setting uh, whose mission is to turn it around and bring a fallen program back to glory. Lon Kruger did that and he didn't get to the pinnacle. He didn't win a national championship, but with the hand he was dealt as he did at Illinois and Florida and Kansas state and pretty much everywhere he'd been prior with the hand he was dealt Lon Kruger made the most of it. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think that uh, he, he was, uh, you know, I can remember going to the first in-state tournament that they, they went to. It was Buddy Hill's freshman year. It was Isaiah Cousins' freshman year. Um, Jordan Woodard was, he came in the very next year in 2013, but it was 2012. Uh, I took my, at the time, my eight-year-old was six months old at the time. And you remember Florida Golf Coast, that run that they went on when they beat Georgetown and all that? Oh, who could forget it? I know. Well, so Oklahoma gets set up in Florida and or in, in Philadelphia. And obviously I was stationed in the Air Force at the time uh, in the uh, Philadelphia Metro right south in uh, by Dover and uh, in, at Dover Air Force Base. And um, we went up there and Florida Golf Coast beat Georgetown that night. Um, I remember my dad took me and my wife and my kid to that game because he flew in. Uh, to hang out with us and um, the Georgetown fan, this is pretty cool. Georgetown fan comes up and he says, I don't want to stay here anymore. Will you guys take these courtside seats? We were literally under the basket on the front row. And I mean, while while Oklahoma's playing San Diego state, but we got to watch that game up close and personal. And I got this, we were right by the Oklahoma bench and why that just, made me think of this was because I remember sitting there thinking the whole time lawn was so nice to the officials. He never cursed. He never said anything. And that, you know, that strikes you because you hear all these, all this different, when you're on the court, you hear all these, so you guys know this, but the press, like we hear things when we're down there that nobody else can hear. And there's a lot of, if it was on national television, beep, 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 beep because people are mad, upset, and they're being competitive. He was not. Even in his most competitive moments, it was, gosh darn it, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, I just want to give that guy a hug because he's just such a nice guy, even when he's angry and competitive. And I think that's what made him so endearing and lovable, even to OU fans at the time. I don't think Oklahoma fans appreciate him enough either at the same, in the same junction. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, Colin? Like, I, yeah. I, I feel like he doesn't get his due. I mean, the guy went to two sweet 16s. He took Oklahoma to seven of the last eight NCAA tournament berths. He went to a final four. He had two players drafted in the top six of the NBA draft. That's pretty remarkable resume. I mean, hell, they went to what? Is it four straight NCAA tournament appearances over the last four years? And yes. let's just be honest, like some of those teams had no business being in March Madness. No, they weren't very good, but he coached them up. Now, I, I will say this. The Trey Young team, had it not been, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast this kid, and I, I hate doing this, but Cameron McGusty was a thorn in the side of that team. He was a – Colin, you know what I'm talking about. He was, a, he was a problem for that team. 
He thought after his freshman year, he needed to be the guy. He took offense. Oklahoma's 14 and two. They're rolling along with Trey Young. Everybody's getting passes. He's averaging, what, 14 assists a game at the time, 15 assists of the game at the time, and almost 30 points a game. And they're 14 and two. Cameron Augusti gets butt hurt and starts causing a problem with the team inside the locker room. You know what I'm talking about. And that team folds. That team was the one team that it got away with from lawn that it probably should have been a final 14 because they were good. They were really good. You know it. I mean, we all know how talented that team was. They was were a, so good. It was an interesting squad for sure. And I'll also always kind of wonder what lawn would have been able to accomplish with last year's squad had the tournament not get absolutely shut exactly down. right. They were on fire. Yes. Remember? Look, man, they, that team was picked, I think, to finish seventh in the Big 12 in the preseason poll, and they finished third in the conference. Right. Like, what Lon accomplished held the year before this, let alone this year, which might have been one of his best coaching jobs exactly. of all time. It's ridiculous when you really put into context what he's been able to do with teams that a lot of people think isn't even in the top half of the Big 12. Like, this guy just constantly found ways to develop players, help them not only meet expectations, but exceed them and eventually make Oklahoma a consistent brand when it comes to March Madness. And that's all you can ask for, especially when you're talking about a program that you mentioned that he's not necessarily as appreciated. Like, let's just be, let's just call it what it is. Oklahoma basketball is not something that like when a top tier recruit comes to attend a game, they're walking away saying, wow, that was incredible. Because, I mean, for a while, I, like you said, fan appreciation hasn't always been there for Lon. But right. again, it doesn't matter what kind of cards he's dealt. He makes the most of it. And he has not only made Oklahoma basketball a consistent presence towards the top of the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament, but he's also made Oklahoma basketball an impactful presence in the community. Right. And I think that, again, is just it tells you a lot about who he is as a coach and as a, as a, a person. So I commend him for everything he was able to accomplish. I, I agree 100%. I, I will add that I think Oklahoma fans, and like you said, I don't think it's, they underappreciate lawn. I think they underappreciate, <clears throat> excuse me. They underappreciate the value in the prestige of the program, because I remember back in 2008, right? 2009, when uh, ESPN did the, the blue bloods are the, you know, the top program, top 100 programs or something to that extent. And the Oklahoma basketball program was of all time. And Oklahoma basketball program was 12th all time basketball program in the country with so, their little thing that yeah. I, I well, my point is, is that it, it's a winning program. It wins a lot. It, it's a, it's a every decade, two or three times to the sweet 16 type of deal, but that's hard to do, right? That's hard to do. Um, it's a every decade they go to the elite eight at least twice, uh, final four once. I mean, there's been, it's been a long time since Oklahoma's missed a final four in a decade. Right. So, I mean, I guess my point is, is that Oklahoma fans just in general, I, I feel like when you walk into Lloyd Noble and you're like, what in the hell is going on when there's a top five matchup, you're like, this Oklahoma team is going to be going to the final four and they can't sell out a damn game. What is wrong with this? What's wrong with the OU fans? And I'm not bashing the OU fans. I just have always wondered this ever since I was a little kid. And I will say when Kelvin Sampson and Eduardo Nahara and Nate Erdman, and all those guys went, there was standing room only and it was loud and it was awesome. But for some odd reason, and you can probably blame the thunder some for this, 
but Oklahoma fans got to get back to appreciating what is going on with this, with this program. And I know where you're going to go with this, where you're going to roll into this hire, why it needs to be young Colin, because you and I have talked about this already. I know, I know where you're going to go with this. So I'm going to give you the floor here in just a second. Parker, you said you, you, you look like you had something to say, and then we're going to roll into talking about the coaching search because I know where Colin's going to go with this, with what I just said. And I want him to, I want him to have his chance to say something. So go ahead, Parker. No, I was just going to add that. Um, I think, as you mentioned, Brandon, when you look at what Oklahoma has done over the last 10 years in the Lon Kruger era, and then you consider that outside of the one year where Buddy Heald exploded and the one year, obviously, that Trey Young was in Norman, they haven't had legitimate NBA talent in any right. of those years. Lon Kruger has built all of his teams in a very blue collar manner. They play team basketball. They play for each other. They don't rely on any one individual in most cases to get the job done, but it's been a recipe for success in Norman. And I think maybe that's the reason why people underappreciate what this program has been under Kruger is because they don't see a figurehead, right? They don't see a guy like Tyler Hansbro was back in the day for North Carolina, for instance, a guy that everybody looks at across the college basketball landscape and says, Oh, that's a, that's a star basketball player, you know? And Blake um, Griffin made him as you know what though. Say that again. I said Blake Griffin made him his bitch. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, absolutely. But Blake, <laughs> I was yeah. there. I was uh-huh. there. <laughs> yeah, but Blake Griffin, obviously. I mean, that was pre-Lon Kruger in the in the Kruger era. Um, you're talking about. I mean, Buddy Heald for a year or two, and then Trey Young for a year. Really, those are the only guys that have passed right. through Norman over that time that you can look at as legitimate, surefire NBA prospects. For the most part, Lon Kruger has won a lot of basketball games with a lot of guys who aren't outstanding but who play really fundamental, really well-coached, really efficient basketball. And that's just something that I appreciate. I hope, I hope other people appreciate that as well. And I don't know if we'll, if we'll see the same thing under whoever the new Oklahoma coach ends up being, but you got to keep in mind that, as you mentioned, Brandon, Oklahoma is not a college basketball powerhouse, the likes of North Carolina and Kentucky and Duke. They can't recruit on that level. Okay. So on a certain, on a certain level, you have to build that kind of a program in order to have success in Norman, Oklahoma. And that's what Lon Kruger did. And oh, by the way, you talked about the, the quote-unquote NBA talent that Oklahoma had. Uh, people forget sometimes that when Buddy Heald made his way to Norman, he couldn't even really shoot a three. So let's Fair go enough. ahead and commend the it's job very true. Lon Kruger yeah. did in coaching that guy to be an NBA caliber talent. He and was a forced off athlete, athleticism, and that was it. And that, that's the thing. He was a raw, he was a raw athlete who had almost zero shooting ability at the time when he was a freshman. And then what happened literally three or four years later, this guy goes from a comp- really unskilled basketball player to one of the top three point shooters in all the country. And he's up there towards the top in terms of pure players in the entire game. And I think that's, again, a testament to what Lon Kruger has been able to do as a developer of talent, because, again, he's dealt some guys who aren't NBA talents, but now we're sitting here talking about them as pure NBA talents. And, oh, by the way, Trey Young, a lot of people are like, well, maybe he needs to come back because we don't really know if he's ready for the NBA. And now look what he's doing. (laughs) So, but this is kind of like as we transition, think about this. Like, I think it was a really good question asked. I want to say it was from... Carson Cunningham from KOCO. I hope mm-hmm. I have this right. But he basically put out a question and he was like, look, like where does Oklahoma's basketball job rank? 
right now in terms of Big 12 jobs. Like, where do they fit in the grand scheme of the Big 12 conference when you're talking about job openings? And I saw a lot of people putting OU in the top three or four. But then my question now is, where would you have put them had the same question been asked to you 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. But now, okay, let me put, let me, let me preface this by saying when Kelvin Sampson got a hold of it and left, that job was huge because they were on a roll at the time. Right. When Capel came in, they had it, they struggled. What they went to the NCAA tournament year one, I believe, in year two, they went to the Elite Eight for him. Right. They ended up recruiting a bunch of McDonald's All Americans, which is not something Oklahoma normally does with Tommy Mason Griffin, Tiny Gallon, Willie Warren, Blake Griffin. They had a bunch of those dudes, right? But Blake Griffin leaves, Willie Warren gets frustrated with the program and where Capel had it headed, leaves for the NBA draft, gets drafted by the Clippers. Tiny Gallon comes in, Tommy Mason Griffin comes in. They look like they're going to be a really talented team, start off hot, and then the wheels fall off, and they end up being, what, like 12 and 20 or something like that at the end of the year. Prior to that season, I would have said Oklahoma was up there right below Kansas as far as jobs go in the Big 12. After the next two years, (laughs) Oklahoma wasn't even – I mean, but here's the deal. Joe C went out there and paid $2.1 million at the time for long Kruger because he did not want to leave UNLV. He turned down Oklahoma like four times before he said yes to Oklahoma. And that's the and thing. People is, forget about that. We're, we're talking about a job that Lon Kruger quite visibly did not want. And that's for a reason because before oh, UNLV he, was awesome at the time. UNLV was a major name in college basketball. And Oklahoma was, I would venture to say, a bottom-tier job in the Big 12. But look where he has now that job's perception. We're talking about an opportunity for some coach to come in and potentially take over what a lot of people think is a top three or four job in the Big 12. That is the working of Lon Kruger, and it is now the expectation for whoever steps in. And there's our transition. Yeah, well, and, and like you said, the, and as we're getting to this coaching search talk, talk right now, there's some big names that have been, especially Colin and I have been on the phone several times in the past couple of days talking about what we're hearing, you know, with our sources and stuff like that. Like, I know people want to just latch on to Kellen Sampson. They want to latch on to McCaslin. They want to latch on to, I mean, even, I mean, here, here's my deal with the whole, uh, Oh my gosh! I just went blank now on the Maryland coach, uh, Mark Turgeon. Mark Turgeon. Who? 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 Hey guys, he does not want the job. By the way, apparently he does not want it. So let's go ahead and get that out there. Does he not want it? When did he say this? Well, his agent put out a, a completely BS statement saying, "Well, Mark Turgeon is not interested in the Oklahoma job because he is definitely planning to retire." A Maryland terrible. Yeah, nobody buys that. Even two four seven Maryland came out after that, and they're like, uh, "That <laughs> statement out a came, little too much." <laughs> that statement came after basically every national analyst in college basketball was pushing Mark Turgeon's name for a reason. Wink, yeah. wink. So, 
I mean, good Lord, man. That, no, that he wants a out a little too much out of Maryland. That's what I was about to say. To me, he wants out of Maryland too much. That, that to me, is a big no-no on that in that regard uh, it was just hilarious how they handled that like really you're gonna tur- you're gonna turn down the job publicly that you definitely wanted behind the scenes yeah well and and then you you know uh yesterday afternoon i heard john beeline was a name that was brought up to me which i thought was interesting but uh, I, I'll, I'll say what i know here's what i know I know Oklahoma is in the middle of interviews. Eduardo Nahara is interviewing for the job. We know that. Um, we know that I can tell you 100% that Kellen Sampson is a major player in this. And here's why I know this. One, because a source very close to that side of the situation told me that Oklahoma had reached out, number one. Number two those sources have gone freaking quiet <laughs> in the last couple of days. So um, that to me is that, that that's like, you know, the, where there's smoke, there's fire, man, that smoke is hot in that Kellen Sampson. Now, do I think that Kellen Sampson is going to get the job? I would say he's, he's trending towards the top right now. And I think most people would probably agree with that. Mm-hmm. I also think Qantas White is trending toward the top. Now I've talked to some people, around Qantas White and there's some definite interest there. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say that he's interviewing for the job or anything like that. And I don't want to say Kellen Sampson has either. Um, I do want to say that I know that there's factual interests on both sides, both parties, Qantas and Kellen. And I also know that Oklahoma has interest in that side as well, from what I'm hearing. Um, that said, uh, Coach Beard for Texas Tech. Chris Beard got the job for Texas. So we know that McCaslin for North Texas is probably going to Texas Tech now. So we know that domino is kind of falling, right? We'll see. Uh, it's obviously this happened today. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. But, you know. So long story short, and I, I wrote about this a while ago. So for OU Insider VIP members, this isn't anything new. But behind the scenes, the way it was posted to me, Oklahoma – was anticipating number one, Chris Beard going to Texas. And number two, they were anticipating Texas Tech then entering the same candidate pool that OU is currently in. So now this is where you could probably see the race really start to pick up because Oklahoma now knows that the Red Raiders are probably going to go after the same guys. And Grant McCaslin is certainly one of them. Uh, I know that McCasland is someone who off the jump, the way it was posted to me by sources was if not top two, he was number one for the OU job. I mean, there was a lot of certainty that he was the top candidate on their board. But now that I think that the dust has settled and some, some various conversations have taken place, I do think that it's a little bit more of an open race right now. And so if you're Texas tech, while I've heard that McCaslin is definitely going to be on that board as well, I'm going to do a little bit more digging and see who the Red Raiders are going to have on their board as well and how the overlap will then impact Oklahoma. So Grant McCaslin is someone now who becomes a major hot commodity with these dominoes falling that, like I mentioned, Oklahoma was anticipating to fall around this time. What what, what do you got going on, Parker? Like, What's your thoughts on all this? Well, I think it's been pretty clear ever since the beginning that McCaslin and Samson were going to be the two primary targets. They were going to be the two guys that, you know, if you were going to put smart money 
upon Oklahoma hiring either one of those guys. Uh, I mean, th- those were the guys to put the money on, basically, uh, from the outset. And, you know, Mark Turgeon, obviously a guy that's in that conversation. Uh, I, I Listen, I love Porter Moser as a coach. I love oh, yeah. Porter Moser. I have been on that train for years. Porter Moser deserves a high-end Power 5 job, and he's a guy that could do, I believe, could do some really special things at a high-end Power 5 institution. Uh, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen, at least not at Oklahoma, at least not right now. Um, but you know, I think you guys mentioned it. McCasland is a guy that's on a lot of schools radars. Uh, obviously he was on Texas's radar before they went with beard. Uh, he's obviously a Baylor alum played at Baylor has a lot of ties, uh, to the Texas basketball scene. So, uh, taking a step up and taking that Texas tech job makes a lot of sense in theory. Uh, but of course, Oklahoma very much. Uh, in that race for McCasland as well, it's just a matter of, uh, as you said, kind of where the dominoes fall, when they fall, and what effect that has on the rest of the candidates in that pool. Because, I mean, Kellen Sampson is still coaching, right? Houston's in the Final Four. He's still got another weekend. Uh, he's still got a national championship to try and win with the Houston Cougars uh, under his under his dad on that staff. So he's got bigger priorities right now in the here and now, at least for the next week or so. What's up, Brandon? Let me. I want to ask you. You brought up. You brought up Samson's. What would y'all think of this? What would you think of them saying? You know what, Kelvin? Since Josie and Kelvin are best friends, what? What would y'all think of them saying, Kelvin, come back, retire, everything's forgiven with the text messages and the calls, which is in 2021, that seems like this is like the dumbest thing ever. Like you called too much, you text too much, slap on the wrist, bad you, bad, you know what I mean? Like in today's world of, in today's world of just technology that just seems so petty. Back then that was like such a big deal. But what would y'all think of, they bring Kelvin Sampson back Kellen comes back, Qantas Hall has come back. And they basically have both of those guys, Qantas and Kellen. And then Josie kind of just picks whenever Kellen Kelvin decides he wants to retire between those two as the next head coach. So to be clear here, Brandon, what you're proposing is that Oklahoma stages a coup and steals Houston's entire basketball staff. (laughs) Is that what I'm hearing? Well, I'm I'm sure Qantas would be the next head coach at Houston, so you'd probably throw him out. But say they do. My, I guess my deal is is uh, Kelvin comes in, Kellen becomes the assistant, the coach and waiting type deal with Hollis as the other assistant. Would y'all be kind of would that would that intrigue you guys? I mean, it would be it, intriguing most certainly. I don't know how it would, would go with the fan base because That's I think people I mean. still have a lot of mixed feelings about the way that the Kelvin well, Sampson era ended in Oklahoma. When Kellen had his senior night, Kelvin got a standing ovation. Like they gave Kelvin a standing ovation when he showed up for Kelvin senior night. So I, 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 the people that are mad about that, just how are you mad about too many text messages? Like literally it's 2021. We live through text messages that, that you cannot be mad about that. Kelvin Samson was just ahead of his time. Damn. That's what I got to say. He, he was, he was a Texan fool before Texan was cool, man. So I, mean, I don't know. I mean, my point is, is that, you can't look at what he's done at Houston and go, I don't want any part of that. If you're an OU fan, you're like, man, we should have never got rid of him. Should have never let him go to Indiana. That's what you got to be thinking because had they not, you would have had Scotty Reynolds, you would have Damian James, 
you would have had Blake Griffin. That team would have been awesome. Maybe won a national title. I'm just saying Taylor Griffin was on that team. And I know people are like, well, Kelvin would have stayed. Blake wouldn't have come. Man, come on. Come on. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor and Blake are going to play together no matter what. I can't explain why this is, but one of my enduring memories of March Madness, of watching March Madness as a child, is uh, Scotty Reynolds hitting that coast-to-coast layup to put Villanova in the Final Four to beat Pitt. And I just, I, I remember thinking, man, that dude could have been a Sooner. Yeah. And he, I mean, I, there were a lot of those guys very similar in talent to Scotty Reynolds that, you know, as a result of the fallout from the Kelvin Sampson situation, Oklahoma missed yeah. out on. And sure, like the, the payoff in the here and now, like back then, I mean, they got to the Elite Eight, as you mentioned, in year two of the Jeff K. Polera. So it didn't look like the wheels were falling off there initially. But then, of no, course, once Griffin Kelvin moved on, it. And you got to deal with the sanctions and you got to deal with trying to rebuild a program from scratch, basically, after you had a whole bunch of guys transfer out after you had the sanctions hit and you have a guy who is quite peripherally in over his head as head coach of your basketball team. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was a lot of fallout from the yeah. Kelvin Sampson situation. And, you know, we talk about Capel, but really it started with Samson's departure. Like that was where it started to come apart for Oklahoma. That's what Lon Kruger was cleaning up because it was never the same, even from the moment that Capel stepped on campus to take the job. Uh, I mean, like I said, sure. You went to the elite eight. Sure. You had Blake Griffin, but that four years with Jeff Capel at the helm, that was, that was a really toxic time in Oklahoma basketball history. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there are certainly fans out there. There's certainly a large contingent of the Oklahoma fan base that wishes that they hadn't let Kelvin Sampson go off to Indiana because you'll wonder what might have happened if you'd hung on to those recruits, if you'd had some really solid guards to pair with Blake Griffin on the inside, and maybe you make a run at a national championship in 2008 or 2009. I mean, that was yeah. very much on the table. Well, yeah, and they they barely lost with the group they had with Capel. They, they, they were, what, within striking distance the whole game they played north carolina closer than anybody else in that tournament nobody played dead north carolina north carolina team closer than oklahoma it's kind of like gonzaga this year like oklahoma is the team that's played gonzaga close and nobody else kind of hung with gonzaga the way oklahoma has but uh, okay let's do this we're april 1st it is Somewhere around noonish, a little afternoon, or it's almost one o'clock. I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, you're going to ask me because you know I'm going to ask y'all to pick who's going to be the next coach at Oklahoma. <laughs> yep, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, you, you know me too well. Well, I do this all the time to you guys. Yep. Okay. Just um, love putting us on the spot. Yes, I do because I'm going to do it too. Um, Colin, let you go first. Who do you think is going? We're predicting, folks. So this isn't like sourced information, or we're not saying we're naming the next coach. We're predicting who we think is going to be the next coach at Oklahoma, and when do you think that gets announced? So who is going to be the next coach, and when do you think it gets announced? If you would ask me this question, like, what would that have been? Like a week ago, maybe a week and a half, two. Oh, Grant McCaslin. I would have easily said it is 100% Grant McCaslin, given what I had heard. I'll go ahead and say it's going to be Kellen Sampson. And I think it does not get announced until about, I don't know, anywhere from about 
three to four days up to maybe like a week and a half after the Houston Cougars tournament run is concluded. So wow, that they're gonna wait that long. Do you think Oklahoma can wait that long with all the transfers announcing? Oklahoma's got to get on the they, they got to get the roster's on. already shelled. The roster. <laughs> let's go ahead and call it this. Whoever whoever takes this job just better be ready to have like a gajillion scholarship spots for anyone in the transfer portal. So I don't think at this point you need to be that pressed, especially you need to go out and get good transfers, not just. Well, the, at this point, everyone under the sun is entering the transfer portal in the world of college basketball. So there's going to be a new name in there. We have already hit, I think it was what we hit the maximum number of names. We had more names in the transfer portal like a week ago. Then we did all of last year. Oh, wow. Like that's already happened. So if that's cur- the current trend in college basketball, if we're already like well over the maximum limit we hit a season ago, you're going to be fine and you're losing everybody as it is. The only reason, again, that I think that this, this race starts to pick up is because now Texas Tech job is open. But again, I don't think that they can really make much movement on this until – they're able to bring in Samson or White from the Houston staff and get those interviews knocked out. So that's what I got. Do, I, do you think that Josie flies up? And I, I think somebody should look at that. Do you, somebody do a flight checks, see if there's been a flight from Norman to Indianapolis to see if there's some interviews going on. Get the binoculars <laughs> out and like scan the stairs. Somebody, somebody's entering the bubble. Somebody's entering the bubble. Um, who, who do you think, Parker? How do you end in the timeline? I think it's Kellen Sampson. I think it's a week from yesterday, next Wednesday. I'll say that's when it happens. I say Kellen Sampson gets announced as Oklahoma head coach next Wednesday. I will say Kellen Sampson on Monday or Tuesday of next week. That's what I'm going to like right as the final four is ending. You know how they always start to like right as the final four is ending, you start to see these like names start popping up for like such and such is taking this job. Like every year, like the scroll, like the, on the ticker, it's like do, 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 and you see all that going on. I think that's what you're going to get. So wait, does anyone have Houston winning this weekend or no? are we just calling it a race on this? No, side? no. I, I like Houston's playing what Baylor. No, I yeah. don't have them winning. All right. That does uh, no, I don't have the money. I think I think it's pretty clear that Baylor and Gonzaga are the best two teams in basketball. Period. I want to see that game. I now I think if you were going to somebody else is going to play Gonzaga, you want it to be Houston if it's not Baylor, because I think they can match up with them, and I think they'd be physical enough to to piss off Suggs enough there'd be more elbows thrown than normal. So, um, which is, I know that's just that just pissed me off. So. Anyways, uh, the, the, the elbow stuff still gets to me for some odd reason. Like, I just don't know how you don't call that, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, so I think we're all in agreement that Kellen Sampson is probably the leader in the clubhouse at this point. And I think that's kind of where everybody's leaning nationally, it seems like. is like Kellen is like, you, you, see, you keep seeing his odds creep up faster and faster and faster. Now, the John Beeline thing kind of makes sense a little bit just because – he could come in, fix things, get the program going and allow Josie to kind of get a list going and quietly start putting fillers out whenever he feels like beeline is, you know, getting close to that being done type of deal. You know, does that make sense? Like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense at the same time. 
So Beeline's the same age as Lon Kruger. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. The peripherals of that decision (laughs) might not be great in the eyes of the fan base. They're like, oh, I mean, you have a guy who's retiring and you're going to bring in a guy who's exactly the same age to try and rebuild the program. Like like five years left. Yeah. And we have to keep in mind that uh, Beeline's last coaching stint did not end gloriously. I didn't want to say it, but the Cavaliers. Yeah. That is correct. But look what he did at West Virginia and Michigan. I'd say, okay, I'll just say this. That has just as much likelihood as both Kelvin and Kellen coming over at the same time. Hey man, I love that scenario. Don't, don't hate on this scenario. I know it's far fetched, but I love it. I love it. It is It is. like there's far fetched. And then there's like F A R R R R R. Hey man, you know what? Hey, look, yeah, you got to live in a dream world. I believe you. You got to live in a dream world. You got to, you got to live the dream man. look, I would love to have Kelvin back. And I think it's more for me if Kelvin ever came back, it would be just so many memories because I, I played basketball against Kellen and I grew up playing against him in the camp setting and AU and all that stuff and, and little league, all that stuff. So, I mean, that, that to me is cool. Cause this is this quick, real quick story. I'm 10 years old and we're playing in this game and more and Kellen's team is playing after us and Kelvin Sampson's um, at the game. I notice him midway through the second quarter, walk in. Of course, everybody does because the OU head coach, right? Basketball coach. He just took Oklahoma to the NCAA tournament. It was literally like, I want to say it was Ryan Miner's um, it was Ryan my after Ryan Miner's year, the first year, Ernie Abercrombie and all those guys. I remember diving on the ball, the hustling harder than I've ever hustled before. And we ended up winning. I think I had like 16, 17 points. I was our point guard. And he stopped me and said, you hustle. I love your hustle. Like grab me as I was walking off the court. And I'll never forget that because that was just something that just lives in my head for the rest of my life. Cause my dad and I were walking off the court out of the, out of the gym. And he stops me and says, I love your hustle, which is just like something like you'll never forget as a kid. So to me, Kelvin just kind of lives in this lore. Does that make sense to y'all? Like, that's why I just kind of. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, I just, uh, to me, he's just everything was to Oklahoma basketball for some other reason. Cause that's what I grew up around him and Billy. They were everything to Oklahoma basketball. So, um, yeah, man, I would love to see it. I know it's not going to happen, but I would love to see Kelvin Sampson get another run at Oklahoma. Um, there is other stuff going on. We did just have our uh, 2023 class top 247 come out. What did y'all think of that? Uh, good stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, but did anything stand out to you as far as Oklahoma goes? I mean, like... Yeah. I mean, Luke has, obviously he's yeah. up there among the top 50, which I think we all kind of expected, but uh, it's good to see that the recognition that he's picked up on the recruiting trail over the last few months, get validated in those rankings. Number one tight end in the nation for 2023 deservedly. So it will stay that way. It, it will a hundred percent agree. And it's, it's just hilarious. Cause this guy, if you really think about it, he's been banged up a couple of times now on the seven on seven circuit and he's still gone out and dominated whenever he's been available. Like 
this past weekend at the True Buzz Dallas thing, he was in for like one play, scored a touchdown over the seam or up the seam, and then was out because he tweaked something. And that's basically his whole impact on the weekend. So he's just different, man. And I was glad to see some things shift up the tight end position in the 2023 class because it's a good group at that position. But it was mm-hmm. a little bit out of whack because I still think number one, Jaden Greathouse out of Westlake in Austin may not necessarily be a tight end, kind of a hybrid guy. Mm. But I do also feel like Luke is a, a hybrid tight end who truly epitomizes the position. So I was glad to see him get into that top standing at the at that tight end spot because, again, I think he is easily the best 20, 23 tight end in a very good group for that class. Is he is he more Mark Andrews, Grant Calcaterra, or Austin Stogner, or is he a combination of a couple of them? I'm... I'm gonna. And no, I'm not him. doing like the racial thing. It's just those are the tight ends that when you think of Oklahoma, I'm just those are the guys. I mean, yeah, there's like Gresham and right, but Gresham is Gresham's his old. He's a different breed, man. Gresham was in a league of his own. So yeah, he was, yeah. I would, I would, I would make him a mix between Calcaterra and maybe Stogner coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he has a ways to go in terms of frame to be who Stogner is now because holy hell. But I do think that when you look at Luke from a route running perspective, from a versatility perspective, I think people forget that Stogner was very good at route running coming out of high school, and he was a really kind of versatile guy. He played a lot of wide receiver coming out of high school as well. And so I would kind of make him a mix of that because I do think he has the ability in the future – to line up in line or in the two point in the backfield. But right now he's probably a little bit more suited to be flexed around. So he's got a really high ceiling, man. I just think he's a really good player. I think he's a more athletic Calcaterra. That's what I view him as right now. And, you know, you got to keep in mind with a kid like that, a sophomore in high school, that uh, there's a lot of room for physical development and growth. And what he looks like now might not be what he looks like four or five years from now when he's an upperclassman in college. So uh, that path is up to him to a certain regard. Uh, but yeah, at least from what I've seen from him on the seven on seven circuit in particular, man, he can move, he can catch it. I, like you said, it makes complete sense that he's the number one tight end in this 2023 yep. class. And I don't think that's going to change. No, I don't either. I, I actually see him as a, cause I remember Mark Andrews out of high school. I'm, you guys probably don't. Um, Mark Andrews was built a lot like him. Uh, just, you know, he was in the 220 range, 6'4", 220-ish range. Uh, and you just kind of knew, because Mark Andrews kind of fought the whole I'm I'm not going to play tight end thing for a long time. When he got to Oklahoma, he redshirted, and Oklahoma was like, dude, you weigh 240 now. You're moving to tight end. Like, they put weight on him. And that's kind of what I think uh, it's going to happen to Luke. Uh, wherever he ends up going, he's going to end up putting weight on. And he's going to be 245, 250 guy as a, as a freshman or sophomore. Uh, going into, I would say as a sophomore. So I, I just feel like, to me, he is a more athletic Mark Andrews, and that's hard to to quantify. I know, but because what you see Mark Andrews doing in the NFL, but to me, that's just where I, I just he just has a frame to put on weight. I never thought Calcaterra had the frame to put on weight. And I do with Luke. I think Luke has the frame has has he has has the frame to put on weight um, i see what you did there brandon yeah yeah there you go um you know what else stood out to me 
was Oklahoma's in a really good spot for a lot of good 2023 guys. And I, I you know, that was something that really stood out. I was like, dang, man, that class has a chance to be a really good. If Oklahoma closes on some of those guys, man, does it have a chance to be special because you, you got, you know, Malachi Nelson where Oklahoma is the leader for the top quarterback. Um, then you've got Micaiah, um, Micaiah, uh, my gosh, I just went blank. Lemon. Uh, Micaiah Lemon, man. Micaiah Lemon, um, his teammate, wide receiver, who Oklahoma, again, is perceived the perceived leader for as well. Um, Oklahoma is in a really good spot uh, for Jonte Cook, who grew up a huge Oklahoma fan, and Oklahoma was his dream school. Um, and he'll tell you that over and over and over. But, I mean, it's a long ways to go there with that kid. I mean, uh, he's also DeSoto, so Oklahoma getting a kid out of DeSoto is going to be pretty pretty interesting too. Doesn't happen often, um, you know. Um, just I, when you go down that list, it just seems that Oklahoma seems to be in a pretty good spot. And there's some OK, okay Preps kids that you kind of have a feeling Oklahoma is going to end up offering. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to end up offering. Uh, Pearson, I think they're going to end up offering, um, dang, man, I'm trying to think of uh, the Booker T kid, uh, uh, the DB wide receiver. His brother played at Oklahoma. I'm just drawing blanks right now. Um, Miles Tease? Yeah, Miles Tease. Micah Tease. Micah Tease. There you go. From Booker T. I think they end up offering him eventually as a defensive back because he's so much taller and longer than he used to be. Um, you know, uh, I think the 2023 class at Oklahoma has a, has a chance to be pretty good. And then obviously I, you just kind of have a feeling Oklahoma is going to end up offering, uh, by Job, who is from Norman at community Christian only played six games last year, but in those six games, he was pretty special. Uh, 247 has him as the number 20 as a 243 player in the country. He's six foot five, 215, 220 pounds has a near seven foot wingspan is an excellent basketball player. He's actually going to be out there in Durant. So I think that's what we're all excited about to see exactly what is this kid going to do mm-hmm. against top competition, right? I think that's what we all want to see what he does now. I don't, I don't foresee him making a ton of plays. I just don't because he doesn't know what he's in. The dude barely knew what a yard was six months ago. So he's learning the game of football, but it's going to take time. He's going to need trainers. He's going to need, need a lot of things, but the, the upside with that kid, he broad jumped 10 feet, 10 feet. That is ridiculous. That is just insane at his height and weight. And he's probably a four, seven, five, four, eight guy coming off the edge. I mean, there's a reason that if the Brennan Marion now at Pitt, sent him an offer. Yeah. And the dude had basically zero standing in the world of college football recruiting. Like, we're talking about an incredibly high ceiling. Just, again, it comes with it. And the other part of this, too, is, and I think why by Job is going to explode here very shortly, is because when you talk about guys like that, like, I'll give you an example. So there's one kid that I've dealt with a lot in the 2022 class whose name is David O'Kay. He moved to Houston from Nigeria 
And when he started playing football, he was tackling his teammates after they intercepted the football because he had no idea what was going on. And it's kind of the same way with a lot of these guys who start fresh. But at the same time, when you talk about guys like by Job or, or these guys who are fresh to the game, they just don't have very many bad habits. And that's what's really intriguing about guys like that and why it's going to help him in terms of his recruitment. So this weekend will be pivotal for him. And I think that this new ranking also really helps him in the eyes of coaching staffs because you're talking about a fresh, clean slate who is already receiving tons of projections and eventually he's going to be able to prove it on the field. So I'm excited about his future. Yeah. Um, look, if you were to pick just kind of a, a mold of an athlete, you would probably pick by Job's frame. Honestly, I mean, the, the guy, he has a special frame that just, you know, it doesn't come around very often and he's a good athlete. Um, he's a, Averaged 16 points a game in basketball, took them to the semis. He obliterated Kendall Daniels when they were guarding, when Kendall Daniels was guarding him, just obliterated him. And I say that in the kindest term, like he just bullied him. And I thought that was, that stood out to me when he, when you bully a guy that's considered one of the top 50 players in the, the country in football. And Kendall Daniels senior film is just insane from Beggs, just insane. But he bullied him on the basketball court. He's that much stronger than a normal human being at his age. He's, they said they got him underneath the squat rack and he squatted 225 12 times. He'd never done it before. And they said, like, his butt, I saw the video, his butt was like touching the floor. He had no idea what he was doing. He just got in and started squatting. So, I mean, he's just one of those guys that God said, you will have all the physical gifts, figure out what you want to do with it in life. And he's starting to figure things out. Hopefully he understands basketball. It's probably not his future being a six foot five post player, but being a six, five defensive end stand up edge rusher, he's going to make a lot of money. One of these days, if he can figure it out, that's going to be the thing. <clears throat> can he figure it out? Is going to be the thing. And does he have the willpower and want to figure it out? And right now it looks like he does. He just now needs to get taught. So hundred percent. Uh, any speaking of guys who Oklahoma could be interested in, any interest in me running down some 2023 names in Texas who Oklahoma will probably yes. should look into here? Yeah, absolutely. So, by Job is obviously one in the state of Oklahoma. When I look at Texas, Peyton Bowen out of Denton Geyer saw an astronomical rise, is now in the top 247, ranked 139th nationally and 16th in the state of Texas. He's a really interesting safety prospect at 6'1", 185. The Denton Geyer staff, I'm working on stopping by there here pretty soon, so I'll have more on him and Ryan Yates, who's another Denton Geyer prospect who is still waiting to blow up a little bit, but he's another very interesting defensive back prospect as height, length. He has a chance to skyrocket as well, and I know Steve Wiltfong is a big, big fan of his, so those two guys out of Denton Geyer, could probably deserve a look. I got to shout out one of my campers too, man. Ashton Porter. Let's freaking go. This dude went from completely unranked to 178th nationally. I'm not going to sit here and take credit for that, but at the same time, that's my dog. So I'm excited about him. He's just a freak defensive lineman who can play everywhere. Dylan Spencer's another name to keep in mind. Now at CE King high school going down the list here as well. Jonah Wilson's interesting. There's just a lot of names here in Texas now that they have some rankings next to them 
are very interesting to me. Caleb James out of Nolan Catholic is an absolute dude at defensive lineman, as is Trey Wilson, who is a guy that I kind of was put onto by the Lakeview Centennial staff when I went out to honestly go see a certain running back that was playing there last season. And this Trey Wilson kid, I'll tell you what, man, he has a very bright future. And then there are a couple other guys who received rankings who I don't think made the the top two, four, seven, like Zach Chapman out of Fort Bend Marshall, defensive lineman, Andre Kojo, offensive lineman. There's a couple of the names in Texas to keep in mind moving forward because now that 2023 has rankings next to their names, I think a lot of big name programs like Oklahoma will start sending out some more offers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as you were breaking that down, I was just kind of sifting through some of the top guys in 2023. And, uh, you know, we talked about Malachi Nelson, the top quarterback, or he's, the second ranked quarterback, sorry, Arch Manning's the number one quarterback. Um, <clears throat> but Oklahoma obviously leads for Malachi. Um, they are in a really good spot for Brandon Ennis as well from university, uh, from true prep Academy. Yes, sorry. In uh, Miami, Florida, I will be down there to see him next week. Uh, Anthony Hill, Oklahoma is in a good spot for Makai lemon teammate for Malachi Nelson, wide receiver, Oklahoma's, most likely leading for him. Um, and that's why I say like Oklahoma is in a good spot. Uh, call or Parker has a story on Caden Proctor coming up uh, here pretty soon. Richard, Richard young running back out of uh, Lehigh senior in Lehigh acres, Florida, uh, Oklahoma has a good shot for him. He's talking pretty good things about that. Jalen Hale. This is just top 25 guys that, and then Trey on web, which I'm, which I'm intrigued about Trayon because he's talked about Oklahoma a lot, but I've never really talked to Trayon. He was committed to Georgia for a while. He was. And now seems to be pretty open to everybody. So I found that kind of interesting. Then the Andre Moore wide receiver out of uh, desert pines, Las Vegas, Oklahoma's in a very, very good spot for, um, and I'll name, I'll try to find one more top 50 kid that, DJ Hicks, I'll throw his name in there. Yeah, that's a good one. Luke has, obviously. Oklahoma probably leads for him, and then probably they do. Jordan um, Renaud out of Louisville is another name to keep in mind. I'm hoping yep. to connect with him here pretty soon. But, again, Oklahoma offered him before in the midst of all that recruiting attention. Jackson Howard, okay. He's listed as a tight end. Oklahoma, I think, is recruiting him as a defensive end. Minnesota represent. Correct. Wow. But here's the thing is so I, I don't know when this tweet happened, but there's there's a lot of people that aren't talking about Jackson Howard in Oklahoma. I, I talked about this the other day in my uh, stuff on um, uh, on my prediction, my class 22 champion 22 predictions said he's gonna take a visit. Well today his dad, said, tweeted out, love watching Jackson Howard making his early morning calls with college coaches before baseball practice. His weekly calls with OU football coach Jamar and, and Jamar Kane have been amazing. We can't wait to visit in June. It's all about relationships. And they've got a photo of him and CeeDee Lamb on it. So... Dude. Uh, in a visit. Oh, dude, I'm telling you right now, Jamar Kane is killing it. I'll tell you who's killing it is CD lamb and Marquise Brown. So like I wrote about this a while back 
But you mentioned a guy in Brandon Ennis, who, again, I also think Oklahoma's in a good spot for. Right. Like, apparently, especially when it comes to, like, the receiver position, Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb have been making some phone calls. And Ennis is one of them. Throw in, apparently, Howard. Like, look at the OU alumni repping for 2023 right now. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah no, this is it, – it's a, it is a uh, – Oklahoma's recruiting at another level right now. Uh, and it's quite obvious it, it, you, you see who's coming in. Like uh, I'm going to tell, I'm going to talk cause I'm going to report this on OU insiders, but before, for those that don't know, Marvin Jones jr. Is going to take an official to Oklahoma for the West Virginia game. And that doesn't, I mean that you have Kenyatta Jackson coming in on an unofficial in June. You have Amari, a coming in unofficial in June. These are a champion barbecue. You got Jackson Howard coming in. You got Derek Brown coming in. Um, and you have Derek Moore coming in as well. Dude, those defensive and outside linebacker group that they're bringing in right now is just the way they're recruiting at that position is ridiculous. And then we're not even talking about Gabe Dindy, who I bet shows up to the champion barbecue if I'm a betting man. I'm going to find out this week but or this next week, but I'll, I'll bet he does. I bet he does. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, the 2023 class looks good. Oklahoma's doing really good in 2022. Um, spring football. We've talked about guys that are standing out on our board mm-hmm. to some extent. Uh, what has stood out to you so far and things that you guys have heard? Um, Oklahoma's what six practices in, but seven practices, maybe. What do you what has stood out to you guys the most right now, this early on in spring? Well, I hate to keep pounding the table about that edge rusher group, Brandon, because I know you were just talking about it, but my goodness, like it's not just the recruiting trail that Jamar Cannon is killing it on because all the reports we hear, all the rumblings we get are that my goodness, there could be, there could be a absolute arsenal of contributors at that position for Oklahoma in 2021, both strong side and weak side. And you look at guys among that freshman class, like Ethan Downs and like Clayton Smith, whom that we knew were talented, but the press that they are getting and the hype around them getting potentially triple digit snaps this fall is super encouraging because you know that when those guys step in day one and immediately start to push the guys that are older than them, it's naturally just going to make the entire group better, right? And you're already talking about a group that is maybe among the nation's best. You got Nick Benito in the mix. You got Marcus Stripling. You got Isaiah Thomas over there on the other side. And so there are so many guys on both ends, on both edges right now for Oklahoma that could be huge players in 2021. And that's why I'm so excited to see this defense hit the field in the fall because for what they were able to accomplish last year over the last six, seven games of the season and to bring in a freshman class that by all accounts has been outstanding all around. And I know you mentioned, uh, you posted earlier in the week about Jordan Mukes as well. Another guy that has really shot onto the scene as a freshman, but the fact that there are so many guys that have stepped in as early enrollees and immediately, particularly on that defensive side, pushed the guys that are above them and have presented themselves as challengers for playing time and potential contenders to see a good amount of snaps in 2021. Oh man, that could have, that could have quite a ripple effect on the rest of the unit. 
And one thing that I've heard speaking on that rush group that I want to touch on real quick, we have to really commend Nick Benito on his transformation as a leader. Okay. This guy, we all know he's arguably one of the top five pass rushers in all of college football. Like that dude's ridiculous. But when he came in, like it took a little while for him to click. And now as he's constantly gone through his Oklahoma career, this guy's ability to speak up and command that group, I think he has a lot to do with the progression of that rush backer spot behind him because I think that he's become more and more comfortable as a vocal presence. I think he's really, really helpful when it comes to helping Jamar Kane get these guys developed. Not like Jamar needs much help, but just having two really strong voices at that position it's, it's critical. And so I, I really commend Nick Benito, by the way, for his leadership role as this thing goes through. And then as far as what I've heard, I want to touch on these two guys real quick because I've been known to boost them in the past. And also it's kind of an interesting storyline if you really think about it. The, the running back group was kind of a serious concern like a couple of months ago. I mean, a lot of people, the hot button topic was, what is the OU running back core going to look like? Now that they're not really getting any incoming freshman backs and Armandre is leaving, well, here comes Kennedy Brooks with a fresh set of legs, and here comes one of the top SEC running backs and Eric Gray. And apparently those two are easily settling in. And I think Gray is an absolute monster. Obviously, Kennedy Brooks, everyone knows my famous saying with him. That's a really interesting duo that's starting to merge. And obviously we've heard about Seth McGowan attacking the offseason. So now it's it's starting to sound like where a position group that was kind of a concern is now building a lot of confidence when you talk about that trio and the other members of that core. So I'm excited to see what the running back group looks like whenever we get to April 24th and then obviously kickoff in the fall, because it's sounding like now Spencer Rattler has a couple of options next to him in the backfield that he can rely on if the past game's not going. And that was a major question going into this thing. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, you know, the, uh, we got to talk to Kennedy Brooks yesterday, and he he called Eric Gray a dog. Um, and everything I've heard is Eric Gray is just he's a he's a dude, and <laughs> they they expect big things. And one thing Oklahoma is looking for is they're looking for a guy to be a big playmaker, a guy that's going to break that long run. The problem is right now is it's going to be hard to find that guy or know if you have that guy because of the defense Oklahoma is going up against in practice. And people need to understand that. And Oklahoma is going to have questions about this because they can't answer it in spring and they're probably not going to be able to answer it in fall. And the reason is, is because Oklahoma's front seven is so good. And because of defense, this year's defense is going to be pretty damn good. And they already know the plays. They're around each other every day. When you start going good on good, defense usually wins in these practice settings because they know what the offense is going to do a lot of the time. Um, they see it all the time. It, it's just repetition. It just, you know, when you know what your opponent's going to do, you can cover, you can guard, you can tackle, you can do whatever you want because you already know what's about to happen before it happens. Um I think the first couple of games, you're going to get to find out who the big play guy is for the Oklahoma. I mean, it could be Seth McGowan. Seth McGowan could, you know, he showed that big play ability last year to be able to break those long runs. He just was never really 
in good enough shape because he wasn't consistently getting carries, consistently being able to do things in practice, whether he was being held out with nagging injuries, all that stuff. Um, the other thing, the other guy is Marcus Major is another guy that, you know, you've heard some about. He's He has a chance to make a play and make those long runs because he is a fast guy. You know, he, he can run. We all know that. So Oklahoma has options. Kennedy Brooks is never going to be that guy. As a matter of fact, I had a source I talked to this past weekend told me Kennedy Brooks makes eight yards look like four yards, but he's walking first down. So I mean, the hell have I been saying almost every podcast? Yeah. I mean, that exact thing. He's a walking first down. So um, you have to love the guy no matter what, even though he runs super boring. He's, he's consistent. He's good. He knows how to make plays and he's always in the right spot at the right time. He hits the hole at the right pace. He does everything right. And that's why he is averaging what seven yards of carry in his career, eight yards of carry in his career, something like that. It's something stupid. So um, it's why he's that good. And then you have Eric Gray, who I think is going to be, I think he's going to be the guy that wows everybody because he's going to be able to make plays out of the backfield. He's going to be able to catch the ball. He's going to be able to make plays with his feet, make guys miss, all that stuff. He's going to be that fun guy everybody likes watching, I think. Um, Wide receiver, we keep hearing things about Mario Williams, Mm -hmm. freshman. Um, I always thought that, you know, I think think we do a really good job with rankings. I never really agreed with the Mario Williams ranking. That's just me. But, I mean... It is what it is. I always thought he should have been ranked higher. I think, you know, you have some guys. We we miss on. I mean, we miss on CD Lamb. Two four seven did. Um, didn't have him ranked very high to begin with. He moved up finally at the end. Um, trying to think of some other guys that stood out. You guys named several guys. Uh. Key Lawrence is a guy that stood out some. They think that he's going to be pretty good safety. They think mm-hmm. once everything starts clicking, he's going to be pretty good. So um, there's some depth of the safe position that hasn't been there in years past, which is a sight for sore eyes to OU fans because that's been a position everybody's like, gosh, if they could just get the safety position doing better. And now they finally have depth and they have talent to back up Pat Fields and DTY trouble. So um I, I just think this deep, this team overall is the deepest it's been in years. Uh, am I off on that, guys? I mean, am I crazy to think they could be 33 deep? At- no, not at all. No, I, I mean, mean... That's that's Alex Grinch's end goal. So, yeah. like he's probably on the right track to accomplishing it, if we're being honest. Yeah. What... What what is the biggest thing you want to see? I mean, I know the spring game's a couple of weeks away. What is the biggest thing you want to see out of this? Um, Caleb Williams is what for me. I mean, you hear all the great things about him and how good he's doing in practice, but mm-hmm. to me, it's Caleb Williams, and I want to see exactly how he handles everything, which I think he's going to do with flying colors, honestly, because I think he's going to be superstar. But what's y'all's take on what what what's the biggest thing you want to see throughout the spring and in the spring game? I'm gonna go ahead and roll with the offensive line. Like that's the more that I think about it, I feel like this front group 
is going to ultimately decide the projection of OU's 2021 season. I mean, I, I really do think that if it, if Oklahoma can get above average offensive line play, then we are talking about that championship squad that everyone wants to make this team out to be. Now, if things don't go well up front, then I do think that still we're talking about Oklahoma squad that is, again, kind of fitting the same mold, extremely talented at the skill position, just not getting the job done in the college football playoff. And while normally that hasn't been the offensive lines issue, it could be when it comes down to it. So in the spring, like, oh, you has to identify some dudes up front on the offensive line, especially with Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely, who are arguably your two best players up there now gone. So I, I'm keeping a close watchful eye on the front five, and I hope to see Bill Biedenboe's group prove some things as this thing goes on. Well, Colin, you stole my thunder there because I was going to go with the offensive line as well, but I'll tell you what, I think there's, I did, I did. I was like, I think, I think I've got the angle here that nobody else is going to go for, but maybe I, uh, maybe I thought a little too highly of that pick, but (laughs) no, uh, the offensive line, I am really interested to see how that uh, shakes out personnel wise, because you got to replace Adrian Ely, you got to replace Creed Humphrey, uh, I'm still kind of interested to see how Chris Murray fits into the picture and where he fits into the picture. Uh, But another thing I'll throw out there, I'm excited to see Cody Jackson because, you know, you hear all the hype about Mario Williams, deservedly so, but Cody Jackson is the other guy that when he arrived on campus, you were hearing a lot of buzz about what he was looking like early in the weight room about uh, the impact that he might have in year one as a true freshman in this offense. So I'm curious to see, because it seems increasingly as the weeks have gone on, we've heard a lot more. We've heard more and more and more about Mario Williams. The Cody Jackson hype has kind of started to die down. And so is that just due more than anything else to the brilliance of Mario Williams and the fact that he's overshadowing everybody else in that freshman class, at least on the offensive side of the football, Um, perhaps, but uh, one way or another, I am excited to see what Cody Jackson brings to the table in that spring game. And, you know, Brandon, you mentioned Caleb Williams. I think that's the really easy answer because yeah, you know, we're all excited to see what, uh, <laughs> what Caleb can do, uh, as quarterback at the collegiate level. And I think early indications are, uh, he can do some really special things. And I think that's what we all expect, but, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, especially with as active a role as Caleb had in recruiting some of those other guys in the 2021 cycle, uh, whether he's truly developed a rapport as teammates with these guys and how that translates on the field. I think he could see glimpses of that in the spring game. And so that's why I'm particularly excited to see not just Mario Williams, but Cody Jackson as well. I'll lob another one. So we're not all touching on the same things. What does Joe John Finley's group look like now? I mean, what, how different does that group look as they get a new coach coming in? What does the rotation appear to be? How does Austin Stogner, Braden Willis, Jeremiah Hall, that room progress and develop with a new guy here in the spring? I want to see what they look like in the spring game because I want to see what steps have been taken and the, the connection that has been built. How much chemistry is there between new assistant coach and extremely talented position group? Right. I don't think you'll see much of Stog this spring. Just yeah, that's so, a I mean, thing. Um he's still, you know, they're holding him out. He's still that knee's still kind of doing its thing and they're they're gonna make sure he is one hundred percent for the season before they throw, you know, the potential all American tight end out there. 
it is still ridiculous that he's going to get ready to play considering what he went through. So, yeah, no, I mean, he's still, he's still bad. I mean, I'll just say that there's still some issues a little bit there right now um, with that. And that's why you, you haven't heard a whole lot and he's only practiced one time this season, uh, this spring. And that was Monday. And so um, as far as full practices go, so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't expect to see much of Stogner and it's wise for Oklahoma to hold him out for precautionary reasons. I mean, let him be 100% for the season. You know what you're getting out of him. He's the best tight end in the big 12, arguably. I mean, Kohler would probably have something to say about that, but people need to remember before Austin Stogner got hurt, he was 300 yards ahead of Kohler and it took till almost the end of the season for Kohler to catch him. And Stog was out for like five games before he caught Stogner, uh, before Kohler caught Stogner in the yards and, and catches and touchdowns and stuff like that. So, so statistically uh, caught him. So um, uh, Stogner is pretty special. I think he's a, he's, he's a, he's a former, he's a future, uh, not former, he's a future uh potential, you know, first, second round pick, third round pick. So, uh, I agree. I think that I I am interested in that though, because from what you said, Colin, and as far as how they handle that, because I heard, you know, Joe John's pretty serious guy from what I hear. He's very competitive, very serious. And Beamer is competitive and serious, but he's just a very different person he's a he's, he's a, lighthearted he's, he's out Kruger is what he yeah. is <laughs> he, he built a really strong bond with those guys so now yes, like Joe John even with maybe like Stogner out there I want to see that dynamic on the sidelines how is he educating Stog when they're going through the spring game how is he pulling the guys off the field like Willis or Hall and educating them how does that dynamic look in more of a public setting if you will uh, I'll tell you this. No, no doubt. No doubt. I'll tell you this from what I was told. And this is from multiple people. Everybody thinks that Joe John is going to be fantastic for Stogner in his future in the NFL, because Joe John is very proficient with inline blocking and Mm. understanding how to do that. And that's something Stogner really needed to work on. And so they think that, adding that to Stogner's game and being able to line up with his hand in the dirt uh, on a consistent basis and be able to, you know, block down and not just do it and, and run routes, but block down and be able to hide whether he's going to run a route or block and do all that type of stuff is going to make Stogner an even better player for Oklahoma, but, and, and, but a prospect in the NFL because they do that so much at the tight end position in the NFL. So, uh, I was told that everybody expects this to be a great thing for Stogner moving forward. It's just, he just has to be able to be healthy and he's getting to that point. It's just going to take time and Oklahoma's going to be cautious and, you know, allow him to uh, work his way back as fast as, as slowly as he wants. Cause they've got time. It's just freaking five months until, you know, spring ball or until fall, fall camp starts. So, let, let your start tight end heal up and see where it goes from there. Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on spring ball wise? Cause I've got one question to bring us no, out. That might be no. A little bit of fun. Okay. Go for okay. it. So I think this is a fun way to end it. Did you guys see what Mike Gundy said today? I did not. Okay, good. 
So basically he went, he went to the podium because this is cool. I think it's a great idea. And I'm not going to lie. Like Gundy is not the most popular individual in the state of Oklahoma, but at the same time, some things he says, I'm sitting there like, he's got a point. And I think when we get to this time of year, one hot button topic is the legitimacy of spring games. Like, are they worth it? You only get 15 opportunities to practice is putting guys out there to show basically nothing in front of some fans to make some money really worth it. Whereas you could have an actual practice and go into more depth in your playbook and developing these guys. So like that question was then I think brought up to Mike Gundy today and he had a pretty good answer and it's something I hadn't really like thought of, but I think it was brought up last year. This, this kind of concept what if instead of just spring games where teams go up against each other and they just don't show anything and it's it comes down to a severe lack of numbers, so there's either an extreme mismatch on one side of the squad or it's just not very fun to watch because you're looking at like the first team offensive tackle go up against the third team defensive end. What if instead of that, we kind of went to the NFL model of joint practices and we had spring scrimmages with regional teams? And what he brought up was like, Hey, Oklahoma State, we would be more than down to just see a fresh set of faces here and go up against like a Nebraska or a Texas A&M in a spring scrimmage against some people because it'll bring excitement and it won't have us make concern about numbers or anything. But it's also an opportunity for us to get our kids competing against new guys. Mm -hmm. So, like, I sat on this and I was like, okay, if you're Oklahoma – Let's take Nebraska off the table because if Nebraska doesn't want to play them in the fall, they sure as hell don't want to play them in the spring. Probably Texas A&M isn't in there as well. Like, they're a team out there that you would want to see Oklahoma go Arkansas. up in spring scrimmage. Arkansas. Oh, I think so too. I would have said the same thing. Mm. Arkansas would be fun because those fans would pack the stands. I'll tell you, they what. would pack the stands and they would just hate to see what was about to happen to them. <laughs> it would be it would be a great time in those stands. Like if next year when we are able to put full fans in stands, like mm-hmm. you get in a spring game featuring Arkansas and Oklahoma fans in the same place, that'd be fun. I had a couple other ones. I thought of Colorado getting that reunion yeah. back together. Yeah, fun. Missouri, maybe. Yeah. Not necessarily. Those are the three. Those are three. Those are the three. If you're not going to throw Nebraska, those are, those are the three schools that I would, I mean, obviously A&M would be another, but here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's my, here's my answer to that. Would you have to do multiple? Would you have to do two home and away? Because schools use that for now for official visits and stuff like that. So it would have to be something to where you say, okay, you get, they would have to extend the practices to probably 20, to be honest. Right. And, and the two games would not count in the practices. So you get three weeks of practice. You get two weeks before your first game. And then you get a week of practice before your next spring game. And it would end like May 1st. So you would get, you would start the spring, pra- the spring games on April 15th and you would end May 1st or the, the first weekend of May or whatever would be the final spring game that you would go home and away you would get one home one away i think that would be a perfect format mm-hmm. i think fans would love it because you know each and every year you play and then the year that you know maybe you're going to play against that team maybe arkansas gets on oklahoma schedule which is never going to happen um but if that wasn't the case and say they played each other in the spring 
that would just bring more fire to it. Oh, well, they dominated during the spring. And are, is, is this going to be revenge during the season? I mean, it, there would be storylines to all this. I think that's what would make it great. It would also allow the teams and the programs to play in front of places that they recruit. Like, you know, Missouri recruits Oklahoma. You know, Arkansas recruits Oklahoma. Texas A&M recruits Oklahoma. Colorado recruits Oklahoma. Getting them to come down here to Stillwater or Norman would be great for them, and it would help their recruiting process. And vice versa, Oklahoma going to Colorado or going to Missouri or going to Arkansas, something like that, playing or Texas A&M, playing another game in those those regions would allow those kids to get their face and the eye on those programs that they're that are recruiting them. I think that would be great for college football. I think it's a great idea. It'd make a lot of money too. I'll tell you oh, what, yeah. that's a lot of money. And I'll give you another one as well. What about Kentucky? Mr. Stoops? Get another Stoops bro in Norman? Oh yeah. Or Memphis. Memphis would be great. Memphis. I mean, that gate would be uh, hell a couple of years down the line. You get a Shane Beamer reunion. Oh, I'm yeah. just saying, I'm just saying this would be something pretty cool to do. So it doesn't even have to be regional. It could be just they play just they. You have two spring games every year out of conference. They have to be out of conference spring games, and you just schedule them. And they have to be top tier teams. You can't go play Sisters of the Poor, Tulane, or some bull crap like that. You've got to play real games. And no, it wouldn't be like win or loss. You wouldn't have a national champion or anything like that. But these kids would compete. And it would allow the rankings to start earlier because you would have a baseline for rankings going into the season of how each team looked against some of these top tier teams. Dude, that would be awesome. But you know, no AD and no coaches are going to be, well, what if they get injured? Yeah, that's the thing. That's but like, it was, it was kind of because Gundy was like, well, they could do some seven on seven against each other, do some five on fives, and then we could go into some teamwork, like working individual drills. With right. You have fives. fans in the stands. It would pack it's out. a lot of different stuff going on that would be very appealing to the different fan base's eye. But long yep. story short, I think it was a good point brought up by Mr. Gundy today. Parker? Man, I tell you what, I am all in favor of anything that raises the competitive bar in collegiate athletics. And I think this does, I think this very naturally does in a very tangible sense, because it has stakes in terms of recruiting. As you mentioned, it gives you an opportunity to renew some of those longstanding rivalries and those old relationships with programs that have kind of gone by the wayside. Like I know Nebraska is coming to Norman, for instance, but Hey, I would, lo- I would love to see Colorado. I would love to see Oklahoma scrimmage oh, yeah. Colorado again. That was a good series back in the day. And you can say the same about Missouri, whom Oklahoma had some really good battles with late uh, in the towards the end of the Big 12 as we knew it, the 1996 to 2010 era Big 12. But man, I think I, I do really like that idea. And much like you, Colin, I'm not always <laughs> I'm not always a huge supporter of a Mike Gundy concept, but this one definitely holds some merit. And so uh, is it plausible? Is it realistic? I mean, there would obviously need to be a lot of work done uh, to ensure that that could or would happen uh, before you start having conversations about it. But no, I, I think, as you mentioned, another thing too, Brandon, is that you wouldn't necessarily need to keep it regional because I mean, for instance, uh, Bill Biedenboe is spending a lot of time recruiting the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, as it is. What if, you know, Oklahoma said, we want to get an Oregon or a UCLA out here to scrimmage us in the spring? 
and use that as a recruiting tool. Get get a chance to bring some of those guys from the West Coast out on official visits. So no, I think there's a lot you can do here. And like I said, whatever raises the competitive bar, I am all about it. So if this became a thing, I would not be mad. So I agree with everything you, you just said. I would love the West Coast thing. Is That's actually really intriguing because Oklahoma – or like Florida or somebody like that, because Oklahoma recruits those regions so hard. That's like you guys bring up some really good points there with that. And just, <laughs> but I'm sitting here looking at my phone, and Roy Williams, I guess, is retiring today, and everybody keeps tagging Superman uh, yeah. on Twitter. So there's like a running joke. I'm just giggling, giggling because like everybody's talking about you know Roy Williams, Oklahoma, and they tag him as he's retiring, even though he's been retired for a while. So, man, what do you think? I, honestly, before we close out real quick, what do you think this does for potential issues in Oklahoma hiring a coach, UNC? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Who do they, who do they go after? I, that's what, who did UNC go after? Well, they can go after anybody, but, I mean, who do they go after? I don't think they're going after anybody that's in the same candidate pool, long story short. So, especially <laughs> because, like, Chris Beard was the immediate – candidate that everyone talked about and then texas hit the gas and signed him today like literally hours after roy williams announced his retirement texas was like ah crap we got to get our dude so i don't think i think i think the one guy that could potentially show up in both candidate pools is porter moser but other than that yeah i don't really think they're dealing with the same list of candidates so i don't expect there to be a huge conflict there between the opening in north carolina and the opening at oklahoma all right, guys. Well, this was a really good podcast. Before we go, I'm going to do what we do. Uh, right now, while this coaching search is going on, on OU Insider, we have 50% off, which means you can get OU Insider, which is normally about $108 for a whole year. Uh, for You get VIP. You get to look at every 247 site, whether it's Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and you can look and read and comment on all these sites, Alabama, you get insider information across the network. And it was usually $108. Right now it's $53. Bucks, $53.70 something. So it's a deal right now, 50% off right now. We are growing fast. Uh, or you can do $1 for the first month. Obviously, we talked about all the travel that everybody's going to be doing right now. Uh, Parker is all across the Midwest right now, hitting up all the top OU targets in the Midwest. I'm heading out to the southeast, to Florida, Georgia. Then I'll be out in California. I'm going to go to uh, Missouri. Um, I will be down back down in Texas to help Colin. We'll be at a 707 tournament. Colin is going to be all across the state of Texas for the next couple of weeks. Um, we are hitting everything. Then I'm going to uh, Phoenix uh, to see some of the top targets down there. Then uh, Nevada and, oh, I forget, D.C., I'm hooking up some stuff in D.C. as well through a couple of coaching staffs out there, uh, getting in, close in the DMV area with a couple of the top targets uh, that Oklahoma's after in the 2022 and 2023 classes as well. So we have a ton of stuff coming for you guys. And obviously spring ball is coming. Um, and we are covering that from head to toe and making sure that you guys have insider information, what's going on in spring ball that you can't get anywhere else as well as we will cover the coaching search. We've got inside information almost each and every day on that That as well. Colin's got that covered uh, pretty well. Uh, I help out as much as I can. Parker does as well. So you're going to get so much information, videos, breakdowns, rankings, 
um, inside information on recruiting and basketball and football, whatever you want, you got it. OUinsider.com. And you get to talk with thousands of OU fans 24-7 that are just as passionate as you. So right now, 50% off, OUinsider.com. Make sure you join us. Guys, thank you so much for doing this podcast with us again. Um, I'm Brandon Drum. It's Parker, Parker Thune, Colin Kennedy. Thanks, guys. Thank you.